Today, we're going to go and grab some jars, all right? Episode one in our summer blockbuster series, we looked at Gideon, uh, and we heard him in that time being called Mighty Warrior. And then God proceeded to direct Gideon, gave him instructions, and Gideon was obedient to those instructions. And then God fought for Gideon, and he fought for all of Israel, and he never repealed, he never revoked Gideon's title, Mighty Warrior. In episode two, uh, we watched Elijah call fire from heaven. Following God's directions, God used Elijah and gave him this amazing sign to woo his people, to gently, lovingly call his people back to him. He identified that they had walked away from him, turned their backs on him, abandoned him, and did exactly what he had asked them not to do. But his response, his response was still a desire to woo them back. This is such good news for somebody like me. Maybe it's good news for somebody like you too. Maybe even a, a church online. That God's first move was wooing and not lightning bolting. Is that good news for anyone else? Not judgment and destruction, well-earned though it might have been. Maybe we need to reconsider the heart of God and some of the stereotypes that we hear. So today, this goes out to all of those who feel overwhelmed. If you feel like there's too much going on, like you're in need right now, if you feel like you don't have enough energy, maybe you don't have enough time, some of you feel like maybe even you're really, really low on faith. Maybe your trouble seems like the hole is just too deep, the demands are too high, the potential fall too scary. Emotionally, you're stretched. Financially, you've been emptied. New costs. Health-wise, you are weakened. Spiritually, you feel like you're down to your last drop. Relationally, you're in longing. Being in these places just rip our hearts out. If you find yourself today on empty, you feel like there's, there's just too much in one area or maybe in more than one area, it's my prayer that God today is going to use this story that we're going to look at to minister to you in a deep and a life-changing way. There was a guy. His name was Elijah. We just finished talking about him last episode. Um, some people get Elisha and Elijah confused. Some people, like me, <laughs> Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, bold and daring and full of faith. Elijah comes before Elisha. It's J before S, all right? Elisha wanted to be like Elijah, and he was bold enough, ridiculous enough to ask for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And God, in His sovereign grace, gave Elisha, who studied under Elijah, a double portion of his anointing. And Elisha performed more recorded miracles in Scripture than anyone, with the exception of Jesus. But he's an ordinary guy. 
Uh, He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't the son of a monk. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't some sort of spiritual giant. No one looked at him and thought, wow, you can tell who this guy is. He's just an ordinary guy. And he started by living at home with his parents. He was working on a farm, and then God called him. God called him to do something incredible. He lived during the ninth century B.C. in a time when Israel was really divided. There was great tension in the nation. Many people were still worshiping the false god of Baal. And God raised up this ordinary guy and did something extraordinary through his life. So let's dive in the story. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. Here's how this story starts in verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered, revered the Lord. But now his creditors are, is coming to take his two boys as his, my two boys as his slaves. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, there's a lot in there. We, just a whole lot just happened, right? First, we don't even know this widow's name. We, we don't know who she is. Um, but according to Jewish tradition, many believe that she was actually the wife of the prophet Obadiah, all right? And if this was the case, then it would be no wonder that she was in financial need because Obadiah was known for protecting and providing, shepherding 50 other prophets, all right? So if indeed this is Obadiah's wife, it would have, he would have taken all the resources that they had, and, and he was meeting the needs of these other prophets, 50 other prophets. And quite honestly, it would not be uncommon at all for a prophet's family to be financially struggling anyways, because they would spend the majority of their life kind of on the run, trying to survive. Uh, it was so difficult to make ends meet. That is the life of a prophet. So if you can picture this, we've got a widow, all right? But this widow is probably somewhere in her early 30s, and she's just lost her husband. Uh, She's filled with grief. She's got no chance at meaningful employment because women in this culture are unemployable unless they would take the job that no woman would want to take, right? The slavery forced upon them to sell themselves. She's in a really really devastating place. She lost her husband. Things are chaotic. And now this creditor is coming after her two sons because the law said, if you can't pay your debts, they can take your sons as slaves to pay the debts, and they will be slaves until they're released in the year of Jubilee. Side note, there is no evidence that the, that the God-decreed year of Jubilee was ever celebrated. The year of Jubilee, for those of you who don't know, is when all slaves were to be set free, all debts canceled, and all property returned to its ancestral owners. So for her, it doesn't get any worse. Where she is, humanly speaking, she's got no hope whatsoever. Things are really bad. And that's something that I always try to remember. Uh, When I face life's smaller problems, it's, it's amazing how riled up I can get about things that are really not that big of a deal at all, but they feel like a big deal to me, yet it happens all the time. Maybe you have the same sort of thing. For example, if you get really riled up, 
because the GPS on your iPhone could not take you to any place on any map, because the map wouldn't appear, because your Rogers service was down. Okay, that's, that's an entry-level problem, right? It's a problem, but it's an entry-level problem. And that, in case you didn't catch it, happened for me last Friday. We're leaving the cottage that we were staying at, and we were oddly confused by the lack of participation of our CarPlay system. Not just no GPS. Oh, no, it was worse than that, but no music either, right? Unhappy. That's where I was at that time. Or maybe you're at a restaurant, and you're just devastated because they put too much goat cheese on your salad, and you told the server specifically you don't want a lot of goat cheese on your salad. Entry-level problem, right? But the reality is, you look around here, many of you today, you don't have entry-level problems. You've got some graduate-level problems, and they're going on right now, always running, under the smile. Some of you, your marriage is barely hanging on, and you don't, well, you don't know if you guys are going to figure out how to make it. Someone that you love just betrayed you, lied to you, and what you thought that you had, you don't even know what you have anymore. You've got a child that may be going the wrong way, Maybe you're mature enough to realize that you, if you keep going on the road that you're on, you're going to end up in a place that you never, ever wanted to be. And you're in agony. You feel powerless because you're watching someone that you love make decisions that are going to hurt them or are hurting them right now. Some of you might be in a financial situation where you don't know how you're going to get out of it. Uh, you're up to your eyeballs. Uh, there's such stress, it just never goes away. Clenching hands, you just feel strangled in that kind of financial agony. Others of you, it could be a health issue. You went to the doctor, maybe it's someone that you love. They, they went to the doctor, and, it, and it meant, if there's not a miracle from God, you, you don't know what's going to happen, and you, you may end up experiencing something that you wished would never ever happen. You've got graduate-level problems, and we need to be honest about the kind of problems we have. If you're in significant need today, here's the key thought of this message. No more waiting. I believe that God is going to drive this into our spirits to build our faith, to face what we have to face. When you don't have what you really want, you will discover that God is what you really need. There's a woman, right? And she is in significant need, and she expresses her need to the prophet. Her, his response to her was not, like, he, he doesn't say, oh, man, you're right, that is a big, that's a big bad problem you've got right there. Does it ever stink to be you? He doesn't say, oh, that is bad. Bad, 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 bad. I'll be thinking about you, thoughts and prayers, but i got to go now. He makes himself available to her. Verse 2, 2 Kings 4. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? He doesn't say, I've got all the answers. Don't even worry. You just keep quiet. I'm going to fix everything for you. But he respects her dignity. 
And he says, let's start with what you have and let God meet your needs through what you have. So she says, your servant has nothing there at all. Isn't it interesting that when you're hurting, you know what this is like, I'm sure you do, when you, uh, when you feel like you're lacking, all that you can see, and you see it so clearly, is what you don't have. And all of the blessings that you do have, you don't see them. I mean, they're there, but it, they feel irrelevant. When you get down and when you're depressed and when you're hurting, we're just consumed with what we don't have. That's all I can see, what I don't have. I don't have enough money so I can never be happy. I, I, I don't have a spouse so I can't have a meaningful life right now. I've heard people say, my house isn't nice enough. Uh, so how can we host anybody? Because I mean, everybody knows that the Spirit of God cannot move unless He moves on top of granite countertops. Am I right? I don't have what I want. So life doesn't matter. Our big question today, what do you do when you don't have much? The first thing is you stop waiting for what you want and you start working with what you have. Second Kings Chapter 4, second part of verse 2. 2B, two if you will. He says, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. I don't have anything there at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got this one little thing. Uh, stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. Now, you may say, what good is a small jar of olive oil. You may say, what good is a small jar of olive oil? I'm so glad you asked. That is a very good question. Olive oil is actually really a valuable, valuable thing, um, certainly in this time, because it, it, it's rare, but it had so many uses. Uh, olive oil was used in cooking, which is a good thing. Olive oil was uh, used to help lamps burn, to give light, which is a good thing. Um, olive oil was used as a moisturizer because you couldn't go down to Bath and Body Works and get some uh, heavily scented stuff to squirt on your face. It was used to help keep leather pliable. It was used to help iron, to stop iron from rusting. It was used as an offering to God. It was used ceremonially to anoint people in religious services. It was versatile, uh, extremely valuable. Basically, anybody would want to have some of it. But she didn't have a lot. She only had a little. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who specializes in doing a lot with a little because I feel quite often that I've got a little. Jesus had taught thousands of people, okay? And at the end of this lesson, everybody's hungry. The disciples say, who's going to feed all these people? And everybody goes, I don't have any food. And a little boy comes up, and he might have said, I don't have a lot, but I do have a little. And he took what he had, and he said, all I have is five loaves and two fishes. A little. And in the hands of the Son of God, a little became a lot, and they fed the thousands of people, and they even had 12 basketfuls left over. 
And I've been learning about this for the last number of years. I'm not smart. I have to keep relearning this, and I feel like I'm learning it almost every single week. I live differently personally than I, than I do as a church. And I didn't see it so clearly before, but I see it more clearly now. Uh, at our General Assembly, which just happened, which is the national gathering held every two years by the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada, that's the big name uh, of the family of churches of which we are a part. General Assembly, we hear regularly. Our district conference, too, um, when it's just our, our, our folks, we hear regularly about how churches in Canada are not participating in activities outside and besides themselves. And from very early on, your STEERCOM, your steering committee, um, committed to a plan of partnership and ministry investment. We can't do everything by ourselves, right? We, we, we know that. And so we strategized to be in partnerships locally and regionally, provincially, nationally, and even internationally. We will commit to the work that God is doing in this world and not just to ourselves. Every now and again, I get a little bit nervous, right? Because I know where the money has to go. I send the requests for the checks, for the bills to be paid, for the ministry investments that we're going to be making. I know the money trends. I see how it happens, right? And summer is a rough season, typically. Not the greatest season to say, let's make sure we give away more money. I know that very well might be me that cannot cash a check, but we are going to trust. We will have faith that as we earnestly pursue Jesus, He will be found and He will provide. He calls us to it. If He calls us to it, then He provides for it. He funds whatever it is that He initiates. So listening to God is really important. Communally discerning is really important. These are not just choices that I make by myself alone in a room, flipping a coin or shaking the magic eight ball. If you've been around for a while, you know some of the stories about how God has provided beyond what we asked for, beyond what we could even imagine. Uh, Project accessibility is one of the most recent examples, I guess. We believe that God called us to break down barriers and open doors. We believe that He called us to do it physically with the building, and so we did building renovations to break down barriers and open doors. But we also believe that He has set this vision in front of us on an ongoing basis, because who really cares about a building? But our building is our base camp, and we use it to train, to send, to encourage, to teach, and to love people. The new, uh, the now project accessibility has way more application to people than it does to the building. It always had application to the people. It was just going in steps. The building was always a tool to reach people. So what, we, uh, what can we do to break down barriers and open doors? What can I do to break down the barriers that hold people back from coming into relationship with Jesus? What doors can I open for people that I know uh, to help them take their next step towards a relationship with Jesus? Who can we invite? And, and then invite to what? Well, I want to help you with that part. Here's our schedule for the next couple of weeks. The whole summer blockbusters series is about stories, so I will be telling stories. Next episode is cleverly titled, Elisha 2. 
<laughs> and it's the big story dealing with soup, the supernatural and the invisible kingdom. Then we have a checkpoint Sunday where we're going to take communion on the civic holiday weekend. But August 7th, you can mark August 7th on your calendar. August 7th, we are doing another staycation Sunday pancake breakfast as the church service. So this is a great invitation. Okay, be happy. All right, sure. Um, it's a great opportunity to invite someone with you, like just come to breakfast with me. Now, we do need you to sign up again. Let us know that you're coming, how many of you are coming, and what you can do to help flesh out that breakfast party. And you can sign up at the uh, intoone.ca, the Next Steps button. There is a pancake breakfast sign-up page there now. So our next episode is Elisha Part 2, Supernatural, Invisible World, then Checkpoint, then Staycation Sunday, Pancake Breakfast, then it's a story featuring Daniel, a changing of empires, massive battle, uh, confrontation of the gods, and at the end, to a very arrogant ruler. August 21st, we're going to look at a story of boldness, courage in the face of immediate and imminent danger, and then that, the, the history-changing outcome featuring two of the biggest name apostles you've ever heard of, Peter and John, in one service. They are some fun things, hopefully, that we can look forward to, fun things for you, but hopefully also fun things to share with somebody else. Please invite. we got some stories to tell, and we're going to have some pancakes together. Bring someone along. I want to pull you in behind the curtain for a little bit. I want you to see a little bit behind the scenes. Into One was never designed to be a program-heavy church. Surprise. Uh, we've always been focused on the authentic living out of our lives in public and private spaces. That means that our desire to impact our community comes from us, us as people, and not just us as the institution. We depend on you to live honestly and authentically in front of others and invite them into your world and to visit them in their world and to welcome them into our shared world. I've always said, and I'm convinced of it now more than ever, that Into One is made up of some pretty fantastic people. Invite your connections to meet some great people. We guarantee that none of them and none of you, we guarantee that you're not perfect, right? And yet the people here are so compelling that people want to be around them. That's why we say that you can belong here before you believe. You can be here because of some of the great people. Meet them, interact with them, have some pancakes with them, and then meet Jesus along the way. As we are moving together on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ, we're being drawn together into one. We find hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they heard, of the one that they have not heard? And how can they hear about someone without somebody preaching to them? How will they know unless someone tells them? We can work at that together. Let's risk. Right? I know it can feel awkward. Let's build some new relationships. Let's partner together, together with each of us and together with the Holy Spirit. Let's take a little risk. Let's not get overwhelmed by it. Sometimes that's my problem. Maybe you're like me in that way. But the message from God has been to me time and time again, Graham, relax. 
We are in this together. I am in this with you. I fight alongside you, and I fight for you. So fear not. The limitations are often inside, right? And overcoming those develops our innovation. If we had all that we needed right away, God wouldn't have been able to show us what we needed to see. So some of you, you're going you're to look at what you have, and you're going to say, I wish I had something else or so I could do something more significant. What I have now is not enough. I need more significance. And God's going to say to you, no, 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 no. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Second thing, offer to God what we have and trust Him to give us what we need. Watch this come true, okay? 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Again, today we're collecting some jars, all right? Go get some empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Four, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. What's going on here? Go get a bunch of jars, but all you've got is a little bit of oil, right? But if you'll trust God and you pour out what you have, then put aside that jar, God will refill your jar and give you what you need, and you can keep on pouring. Some of you may not know this. A little self-disclosure. I used to be a wannabe magician when I was much younger. No doves or bunny rabbit level magic, but awesome tricks nonetheless. I had this magic trick where you could pour the milk out and it would keep on pouring. You know this trick? I will not do this trick for you right now because it was a trick. It's an illusion. But with Elisha, this wasn't a trick. This was a ridiculous request by God who was planning to provide. And when she had the faith, when she took action, when she took her next step of trusting to offer what she did have, God would give her what she needed. And that's exactly what happened in verse 5. She left him, right, and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her. And as they kept bringing in jars, she kept pouring. Verse 6, when the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. As long as there was an empty jar, God would fill it. But when there were no more jars, the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, she went, she told the man of God, and he said, all right, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Your debts have been paid. Your kids are not going to go off and be put into slavery. You and your sons can now live on what is left. When she offered what little she had, God gave her everything that she needed. As long as there was an empty jar, the oil kept flowing. It's a ridiculous request to ask her to empty out everything she has and to trust God to provide what she really needed. But that's how our God works. When He asks, we obey. 
When we show Him our faith, our trust in Him, we get to see His faithfulness. It becomes alive in front of us. And this story has so much more personal implication for me and for our church than I could ever describe. God gave us what we needed. God is giving us what we need. And it started when we offered what we had. Go get a bunch of jars. And notice here, it doesn't say what color. It doesn't say what size. It doesn't say what shape. The only requirement is that the jars must be what? Empty. Could have been any kind of jar. Could have been a milk jug. Could have been a salsa jar. Could have been a peanut butter tub. Because God can use any shape, any size, any color. It just needs to be empty. How does this apply to you? Why do you care what happened to Elisha? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to some of his friends in a church in a city called Corinth. Second letter, chapter 4, verse 7, he writes this, but we have this treasure which is Christ in jars of clay. Do you know what that is? That's our bodies. That's what we are. We're clay pots, all right? We are dirt houses. From dust we came until dust we shall return. That's what we are, and we have this treasure, Christ in jars of clay. So what's God looking for? God's looking for some empty jars. Are there any empty jars here? When we empty ourselves of self, when we empty ourselves of pride, when we empty ourselves of greed, when we empty ourselves of our own agenda, my way, and we come to God totally empty that He fills us with oil. And that's always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, when you realize, what, when you don't have outwardly what you wanted, it is God that you truly needed. And suddenly, He's enough. He's the provider. We don't pray for the provision. We pray for the provider. Suddenly, He's enough. And in every single way, we need more of Christ, more of His Spirit. I must decrease and He must increase. When you're weak, He is your strength. When you're hurting, He is your comforter. When you are lost, He is your guide. When you're hungry, He is the bread of life and He nourishes you. When you are thirsty, He is living water. When your life is unstable, He is the rock. The rock that doesn't move. The one thing that you're sure you can count on. And when you realize, I don't have what I wanted, you can become free to discover He is exactly what you needed. And someone came in here today, and you're empty, and you're, and you're lacking. And today you're going to decide to look to Him, and He's going to, be, he's going to become everything that you need. So stop waiting for what you want. Stop. Start working with what you've got. Offer God what you have and then trust God to give you what you need. Because when you don't have what you really want, you become free to discover that our good God is what you really needed. Let's pray. Kind Father, I thank you for example after example in Scripture in history, in our history, in my history, where I have seen you provide. So frequently the story doesn't go according to the way that I want to write the script. That's not the path I wanted to go through. That's not the timing that I would choose. But God, I have found you faithful. We have seen you faithful at Into One. We have seen you faithful in the Old Testament 
and in the New Testament. We have seen you faithful in church history, in ancient history, in recent history. We have seen you faithful time and again, and we still struggle with our ability to trust you because we still want you to do it our way, in our time, at our speed. We don't always like the path that you put us on, but we're going to trust you that you will be faithful, that you will stick with us, and that you will continue to fight for us, that we will be reminded that you are with us, not just distant. You know the needs that we have laid out before you. You know the way our heart is palpitating right now with what we have concerns over. You know those things. You are not distant. You are near. And your promise is the same. I will be with you. And the best I can offer you is myself. So, Holy Spirit, for my friends that are, that are with me in this building and my friends that are watching online or watching this later, God, I pray that you would meet them today. Fill them with what they need. Give them the gift of your Spirit. Transform their heart by the renewing of their mind. Raise up around them the supports that they require. Use us to be involved in the lives of each other. We want to see you move in our community. We want to give you the freedom to do that and to use us to be involved in that process. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we're going to trust you, and we're going to learn to listen. We're going to learn to communally discern and bounce ideas back and forth. Where is God prompting us? How can we follow? So give us ears to listen. Send your spirit to give guidance, to provide the restoration that many of us need today. And then let us tell stories about your faithfulness, how you have met us in the past, the wonder that we have as we get to describe moments, moments when you invaded and things were just not the same. I didn't see it coming, and there you were, and it was beyond what I expected. Thank you for driving deep into the DNA of Into One, your provision and your faithfulness. Once again, may we find it in you today, trusting you as we take that next step in our faith in pursuing you on this road trip where we pursue you, Jesus. Thanks for meeting with us. Thanks for going with us. Thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.